This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Go. Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. Oh, oh my God. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. What's going on? It's time for another edition of the Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson, and we have another uh, jam-packed show for you today. Um, Let me tell you what's coming up on said program. We release yet another Canadian Paralympic Committee Summit interview. Today we speak to wheelchair basketball athlete from North Vancouver, Tara Lalonde. Plus, we are going to chat about the idea of how the media portrayals Paris sports. I'm joined by Claire Buchanan and Cam Jenkins. Let's get into our headlines. Neutral Zone Headlines. The 2023 Paris Swimming World Championships have concluded in Manchester, England. Canada finished with a total of 19 medals with 9 gold, 4 silver, and 6 bronze. This marks Canada's second highest medal count at the World Championships since the nation won 21 total medals in 2010. The 2023 National Bank Open Tennis Tournament has begun this week in Toronto and Montreal. And this is a great event where you can see tennis at its finest. For event details, please go to nationalbankopen.ca. The Toronto Blue Jays shortstop Bo Bichette has suffered a recent injury in a recent game against the Baltimore Orioles since we have last joined you. We know he has some right knee discomfort and swelling in his patel tendon and has been placed on the injured list. This is never good when you see an injury like this. Uh, I watched it on replay more times uh, than one and it looked... Pretty nasty, so the fact that there's really no significant structural damage is a benefit. As we also are doing this program, we know that Hunjin Ryu took a ball off the inside of his knee in a recent game as well. So far, all that is is a deep bone bruise. The Blue Jays have seemingly dodged a bunch of bullets regarding long-term injury. Hopefully, we can keep that trend going. I agree. We're in the... uh stretch right into the uh, playoffs soon. The Canadian Paralympic Committee announced that in 2026 they would be adding yet another sport to the roster for the Winter Games. Curling Mixed Doubles CEO Karen O'Neill says that this addition plays to the country's strength in the sport. Those are your headlines for this week and uh, sometimes when I write the scripts for our shows I make I get caught let's call a spade a spade I get caught in you know suggesting that a team is struggling and then all of a sudden they turn it around and today that was the case when I wrote the script the Blue Jays were struggling and almost unbearable to watch when they lost three or four against the uh, Baltimore Orioles then they came back and swept the uh, Boston Red Sox which they pretty much had to do if you ask me and then they brought up Davis Snyder, who hit three home, two home runs and nine total hits in his first three games. So my question for you guys today is, when you get an, a player, whether it's a trade deadline or from the minor leagues, can the player really make that kind of an in- impact just by appearing in the clubhouse, forgetting the fact that, you know, they, they might actually produce something? Or is Davis Snyder kind of a unicorn, if you will, in in what we've seen is just kind of circumstance versus, you know, what he's actually done just by his presence? Cameron, start with you. It happens. 
I think you can look at every trade deadline that happens in Major League Baseball, and there's usually always one player that ends up being uh, phenomenal and really helping their team get to the playoffs and even do damage in the playoffs. And uh, for the Jays, hopefully, uh, Schneider can keep it up, and hopefully he's the one to kind of get them into uh, the playoffs and the World Series uh shall I say, and uh, go from there. Um, uh, You know, I I can't give you any examples off the top of my head, um, but, you know, uh, of the Blue Jays uh, in the past, I remember Mookie Wilson coming on and him kind of making an impact, um, you know, and I'm sure there's uh, lots of others that uh, uh, have happened as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that they can make an impact. I mean, we're talking about team sports, so... When you take away the, say, say we're not talking about a specific sport and we're just talking about athletes and, and humans who like to play sports where it's, it comes down to personalities and how they mesh and how they don't mesh. So I absolutely believe that whether we're talking baseball or any other sport, that having one new personality can change everything. Uh, it's that's kind of what uh, general managers and coaches, that's kind of the dream, right? You go out there and you want to have uh, not only the skill there, but uh, the meshing of, of personalities that just, that just work out perfectly and kind of uh, turn something into somewhat of a uh, happy accident sometimes. Because you don't like, you know, you, when you trade players and stuff, yes, you know, kind of the the surface of their personalities and their skills but you don't really know who that person is until you're spending every day training with them and and that's what you hope to come out of bringing new players on and bringing new players up from uh other divisions is is that it works well and that it clicks and this guy is clicking and clicking quick and uh that's uh with us just kind of just missing that injury bug like you said Brock it's a huge spark to kind of have in the clubhouse and in the dugout and I mean of course the fans are going to love it too so um, with having the Jays back home eventually playing a series it's going to be exciting baseball going into the playoffs. I think the other thing is that sometimes in situations when you're going through a slump as I said they lost three or four against the division leaders in the American League East, Baltimore Orioles, and everyone was kind of, whoa, what are the Blue Jays? And sometimes all you need is that change and that different something. And in this case, it was a different face. You know, coaches in my career, when you were struggling, would try to change your mindset, try to get you to do something outside of the sport, try to get you to do something that made you not think about the slump and made you not do things that would normally be done. Just change it up in some way. You know, we didn't have minor leagues or anything like that where you could call somebody up and say, you know, let's see if you get interjected in this way or that way. But just changing it up and doing something different is sometimes all it takes. This is where I'm going to be a little critical of manager John Snyder. I do understand when you have days off that are scheduled for Whit Merrifield, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., George Springer, whatever the case is. I understand that people have to fill those holes. What I don't agree with is the fact that you put Davis Snyder in the leadoff position because of that scheduled day off. I think and really subscribe to the fact that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think... You know, he kind of overmanaged and he kind of, you know, rolled the dice a bit too much and said, well, you know, David Steiner's doing very well here, so let's see if we can plug him in up here. And I think that's kind of where John Schneider kind of outmanaged himself, and and I just don't think it was necessary. Quick comments from both of you on that uh, before we wrap this segment. Claire, start with you. I mean, I agree with you sometimes, coaches. And he's, let's be real, he's only been in this role for a season and a half maybe um so he he's just kind of settling in still i think so um yeah i think he i agree with you kind of went a little overboard with that but um hey people we make mistakes 
Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you both. I think Schneider uh, needed to go up there. Like, look at how many hits that he's getting. And you want your leadoff hitter in order to be get, able to get on base to get the hits. And Schneider has been getting the hits. So why not put him in the number one slot? Because he's 23 and and yeah, already doing more than more Who than he cares? should have. And then you're putting him in the leadoff Who position. Who cares if he's 23? Uh, why do you got to pigeonhole him in that he's 23? Who cares? He's been the best hitter, arguably, of the Blue Jays over the past week or so. So put him in the number one spot. Let him. Get, and how many hits did he get when he was in the uh, number one spot? Well, he didn't He didn't know? lead off the game with a hit. I feel like he might have only got one in that game against Cleveland. I'd have to fact check that to be sure. Yeah. So he still got one more. So, and the leadoff hitter to get on base, you usually, it's only the first stop out of the game. It's usually, you know, doesn't necessarily happen, but you want your top of the order getting on base in order to score some runs. And uh, the Jays, especially in that Orioles series, haven't been getting many runs. So it was nice to see them uh, get them against uh, Boston, especially that last game. So put him in the number one spot, see how he reacts. It's only going to be a few, for a few games that he does it until some of the uh, people come back. And George Springer, who I know uh, has been criticized, he's been getting some hits lately now too. So Yeah, I just I subscribe to the theory, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think he kind of overmanaged himself in that position. What else isn't broke and we're not going to fix it is to tell you at this point in the program how to get a hold of us on social media. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat with Claire Buchanan for the Neutral Zone? Find her at NeutralZoneCB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base right at Claire. She picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this Oregon interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. We release another Canadian Paralympic Committee Summit interview. This time we speak with wheelchair basketball athlete from North Vancouver, Tara Lalonde. This interview I did back in March. Please enjoy the interview. Tara, can we start by talking about something that I thought was really cool in that you were once a wheelchair tennis champion. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I started to play wheelchair tennis somewhere around 2013, 2014. Um, and actually maybe a little sooner than that. Anyway, uh, and I just started to work kind of through the ranks and played Canadian Nationals and uh, won Canadian. The last time I played, I won uh, singles and doubles. So the thing for me when I look at wheelchair tennis is I, I can never understand how exactly you can push your wheelchair with a tennis racket and yet get to the ball and have lovely volleys. Can you help break this down for me and for us, the audience, because I don't get how that's possible. I don't think I got how it was possible half the time. That's probably why I'm a basketball player now. Um, I, You know what? It's really, really tricky. That was one of the hardest things for me to figure out right in the beginning was how to push my chair while holding on to a racket um, and also to anticipate where the other player is going to hit the ball so that I would be already going in that direction. Um, it is one of the hardest, probably the hardest wheelchair sport that I've ever played. So I, it's just one of those things where it's like practice makes perfect and it just takes some time to really just practice pushing around the court with the, with the racket in your hands. Yeah, and I, and I guess that's fair. I think... What I'm curious about is how do you not give away what direction you think they're going to go? Like, because you kind of have to anticipate it, but anticipate it without giving it to your opponent where they go, thank you, I'll just put it the opposite way, which happens in conventional tennis, and I'm sure it happens in 
in wheelchair tennis as well, but how do you not give away where you think they're going so that they don't go, ha, gotcha, we're going the other way? Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of trying to stay more like midline and, and right up the middle of the court and just sort of peering over your shoulder to see it's it, you're trying to watch them to see what their racket looks like and to see where their chair is facing so that you can have an idea of where they're going to hit the ball and then that way you can already sort of anticipate but you're almost kind of like in the middle of the court so that way you have to cover less ground in either direction. Is it fair to say that it's 50% mental, 50% physical then? Or is it one lean more towards the other? Oh God, with tennis, I feel like it was 90% mental and like 10% physical. I mean, I'm probably over-exaggerating, but in some of the matches that I played, that's what it felt like. I felt like all of it was just so mental. And you're out there on your own. Like you can't have a conversation with your coach or you can't talk to anybody about it. You just have to figure out what's happening, what's going wrong, and then how you're going to fix it. Wow. I just, that's, that's crazy. I mean, I've played individual sports and it's, you know, you do kind of feel like you're on an island sometimes, but just to understand that, you know, even though you said it, it's probably a little high, but to understand that it's 90-10, it's like, wow, in a game where you have to move your chair, that's, that's pretty, uh, Pretty fascinating. Let's uh, switch over to your wheelchair basketball career. Um, can you talk about some of the similarities but differences in what's different about the men's program and the women's program? I think, I feel like the women's and men's programs are, are similar in a lot of ways, um, but we do play different tournaments um, a lot of the time. We have camps at different times in different places. So it's not like when the, women's, when the women's team has a camp, the men's team also has a camp in that same place. Um, I think that's only happened maybe one time since I've been part of the team in 2018, maybe more than once, but not much. Um, so like for instance, we might have an opportunity to go play a tournament in Osaka but the men don't have that same opportunity because different teams around the world have different budgets um, and they have maybe slightly different goals and they might have different teams. So like the Japanese men's team might be a better team than the Japanese women's team. So um, maybe for us on the women's team, we might want to try to go play a different team so so it's pushing us a little bit more. So that's where I think it, our, our programs probably differ a little bit. From an athlete's perspective, do you think Wheelchair Basketball Canada has done a good job in balancing the men's and the women's program? Yeah, do you just think they've done a good job in balancing and being as fair as possible, if I can put it that way? Yeah, I think when it comes to who we play, where we travel to, why we're traveling there, um, I think uh, a lot of that also is based on our head coach and is based on what they think is best for us. From there, it goes to the high performance director uh, in terms of, I believe, budgeting. And so if the head coach says, hey, we want to go here to play this team on this, at this time of this month, um, then the high performance director then, you know, gives the okay for the budget or not. And, but I, I do believe that um, it's fair between the men's and the women's program where we get to travel to and, and who we play. The, the women's program is uh, fifth in the world currently as we sit here. Um, that's a pretty good world ranking. Obviously, there's always room for improvement. What do you see as your team having done well? Where's the room for growth? There's definitely room for improvement, yeah. 
Um, I think I think for us, um, we have a really talented team. Um, I feel like in our classification system, especially too, we have a lot of depth uh, in who we have on our team. And I think right now it's sort of little tweaks for us. I think we know what we need to do and how to do it. I think we just need to be more consistent with those things and play an entire tournament at that same level uh, and sometimes an entire game. You know, for us, one of our main sticking points is the third quarter. For some reason, we could be playing incredible for the first half and then we'll get you know a few minutes into the third and all of a sudden it's like something something goes a little awry so I think for us really being strong in that third um, and playing a full 40 minutes that's I think what what we need to do consistently to be able to um you know, go to Paris and be a metal team. I'm going to ask you to put a coach's hat on for a minute, and I'm going to ask you, why the third quarter? We, we, we all, in every sport, we all have that moment in a game where it's like, man, things just didn't go well. But for you, as you tell it to me, you're saying, Brock, it's consistently the third quarter. Why? My personal opinion is that we go to we go to the half. We have halftime. We have time to start thinking. And that's not always a great thing. I think for us when we're when we're in the moment and we're not thinking and we're just doing and we're vibing off of each other and we're making the right reads and things are sort of clicking, that's when everything is perfect and then you have halftime. And so in that time I think, um, yeah, I think people start thinking and I think people start wondering, is everybody, are, are the other 11 players on the team going to be in the same mind, mind frame as I am when we start the third? So I think there's just some questions that we have and maybe questioning what's happening instead of just like, if we could just not have a halftime, I think it would be amazing. Right, and I mean... People would say it's the same game. It's just a different quarter. Why not just play the same way? And I think it's it's harder than people make it out to be from the outside to just say, well, it's the same game. So what, you had a 10, 15-minute break. How hard is it to keep yourself on a consistent plane all game long? It's hard. It's really, really hard to do. I... I totally understand what you mean too. Like if you're on the outside looking in, like if I'm watching a game of some sort and I see this happening, I, I all think the same thing. I'm like, but just keep doing what you were doing. And it's so much easier said than done um, because when you get inside your own head, uh, you know, the wheels can kind of fall off a little bit. So it's just, it's just about just staying in that moment. And I think that that takes a lot of mental prep. And it's definitely something that we're working on um, with both the, the men's and the women's teams is the mental side of things. That is something in my experience through parasports that that phrase drives coaches insane. It's easier said than done. Whenever I would say that in my career, my coaches would just roll their eyes, turn, and walk away. Is that a buzz phrase, or is it actually easier said than done? Oh, it's 100% I think it's easier said than done. I mean, it, I know from both watching sport and then competing in sport, because I've been in that place where I've been, I've been part of, you know, definitely like having a great, you know, first half and then going into the third and then I'm second guessing what I'm doing. 
And, you know, just because maybe, maybe two or three plays in a row didn't work, you know, so then all of a sudden you're like, uh, well, maybe we should be doing something different. No, it just, we're doing the right things. We just need to keep doing those things and don't panic about what's happening. And I think sometimes you, you get in that mode like, oh my gosh, we've missed a few baskets. We haven't, we haven't converted. Why is that? And then all of a sudden it's like this switch happens. We've seen uh, the Toronto Raptors uh, recently get into situations with referees where we know the name of the referee in a, in a, in a game uh, because of their decisions to inject themselves into basketball games. Is that a similar thing in wheelchair basketball? Is there a referee, and I'm not asking you for names, is there a referee where you go, if it's this person, we know we're going to get a consistent, consistent game. If it's that person, uh, maybe not. I mean, I think probably uh, in the back of, of our minds, um, there's, some, there's definitely some refs that feel like they're just more consistent and like consistently calling both ways. Um, but I don't know. I have to be honest. Anytime I go into a game, I don't, I mean, it doesn't really matter who the ref is, but I mean, especially refs that I've never seen before. Um, I have very low expectations. I don't ever go in, I don't, I rarely go into a game expecting that a ref is going to get it right because they're just not going to get it right. I mean, because if they make too many calls against you, they're absolutely wrong, even if their call was right. And then, you know, on the flip side, if they're making calls against the other team, you're like, oh, that's, that's a great ref. He, he, he did a great job. Well, did he? You know? So, you know, I, I mean, refs have, the sh you know, kind of the short end of the stick every time. They're never going to make everybody happy. So for me, I just would rather focus on what I'm doing on court, what my teammates are doing on court, and whatever the ref is going to do, the ref is going to do. What has Parasport done for you in your career? I mean, Parasport gave me another career. You know, I didn't really know much about Parasport at all until I was hurt. And even then, it, I really didn't know a ton about it till years after. So, um, you know, it gave me the opportunity to play high-level sport again when I never thought that that was going to happen again. And, and to be playing at, like, the highest stage in para-sport is pretty, pretty amazing, and I feel really fortunate to have sort of found my way back. Not every day in wheelchair basketball or any sport is uh, sunshine and rainbows. How do you, when you're having those days where it just seems like nothing's going right, it's just whether it's training, whether it's game, how do you say, you know what, I'm going to just do this, and how do you overcome those days that you just go, I just want to crawl back in my bed and go back to bed and start over again? There's a fair amount of those days. Um, and I think, honestly, I, that's probably more because the training that I do is in Vancouver. And I'm the only national team athlete in Vancouver, in BC, really. So um, it's difficult because I don't really have a solid training group on court to play with. On a, especially on a consistent basis. So most of my practices are by myself, which is really hard because the reason I got into basketball was to be uh, part of a team and in a team sport and on court with other people. So to not have that has made the training really, really hard, much harder mentally than what I think it should be. So there's, you know, there's a fair amount of days. Um, but I think, I don't know, for me, I just try to have sort of that carrot dangling in front of me, which is Paris, and knowing that, knowing the things that I need to do to be a better player and better teammate, 
Um, so I'll watch, you know, a lot of game film and try to do a lot of learning that way. Is there moments where it's hard to keep yourself motivated at practice because you, you maybe not are able to hold yourself as accountable as if you were all together? Oh, 100%. I think, you know, I, like I've always been a pretty motivated person, um, but this, this has really tested my, well, it's really just tested me. It really has. Uh, and, you know, getting up, driving 45 minutes to the gym and knowing that, okay, well, today I'm going to be practicing my passing off the backboard again. Um, you know, I'll do some shooting practice and then, you know, I'm doing chair skills and pushing drills. And, you know, it's always different when you have your team around you and because it becomes competitive and it becomes, and you're laughing with each other and you're, you know, um, you're pushing each other. So, you know, I pretty much get up in the morning knowing that I'm gonna have to get on court and just push myself to, to do all these sprints and um, try, to, try to get off court and be a better player than I was before I got on court. Fair enough. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time and stopping by and doing this for us. We greatly appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Brock. That was Tara Lalonde talking to us about her career in wheelchair basketball. And again, that interview was done in March, and she's from North Vancouver. If you like what you heard in this interview or anything else we've done on the program, here's how you can get a hold of us by phone. If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now. 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail. So we called this episode Media portrayal and here's why ryan chazinski of the humbled broncos uh who he pl- he played for the humble broncos uh when we had that uh, bus crash a number of years ago he has decided to look at some other sports that he wants to investigate in let's take a listen to this clip you know, with uh, dealing with Hockey Canada, go to camps and being on and off the radar consistently, I think it's time to uh, maybe try other sports as well. I mean, obviously hockey I'm not giving up with, but I'm going to continue to work hard and, uh, again, see where that takes me. But in the midst of that, I'm going to be playing golf and basketball and any other sport I, I put my mind to. Ryan already has a plan to begin his journey in wheelchair basketball. Let's hear more about that. There's a Calgary um, intermediate uh, stage, which I'll begin there. And then if things are going well and I'm playing well, hopefully I can go up to Team Canada development level and uh, hopefully before 2028 can make the jump to the Team Canada. The Humboldt Broncos bus, bus crash took place in April of 2018. During his rehab and the many months that that took, we started hearing through the conventional media that Ryan would be a high-level athlete in para sports. They thought this would be an easy transition when you think about hockey and the fact that he already played and switching over to para ice hockey, that there was going to be um, minimal uh, challenges with transitioning, which, as he pointed out in this clip, there has been a bit of challenge. So before I ask you the real deep questions in all this, What's your thoughts on what you sort of heard in those snippets from Ryan? And what's your first sort of takeaway before we dive deeply into this conversation? Cameron, start with you. Yeah, like uh, if he's not able to make the um, para ice hockey team, which I think is kind of what's happening there, um, why not try another sport to see if he can go to the Paralympics? Like that would be a lot of people's dreams is to make it to the Paralympics. And I know some people that have... uh, Uh, change sports uh, because they weren't able to uh, necessarily make it to the Paralympics and they thought okay well I'm good at this so I'm going to change it over to this and then they end up making the Paralympics so um, you know I've I've seen it quite a a bit um, during my time uh, doing sports with uh, certain athletes and can't really blame them because like I said uh, to me it wouldn't matter whether I'm going for para ice hockey or for wheelchair basketball or 
whatever the sport is, if I'm able to make it to the Paralympics based on whatever sport, I'm going for that sport. That's exactly it. And I think that is what is special about parasports is that you are able to compete at a high level in multiple sports and and try out different sports. And Ryan is experienced that now with getting to a certain level with hockey. And yes, a lot of his skills did transfer over like his hockey IQ. And I've shared uh, practice times with him quite a bit. And like his stick handling is there. And uh, it's just the the level of his injury is is where it comes into play. And that's the special thing about Parasport is at that high level, you see athletes getting to multiple Paralympics in multiple sports you see the alana nichols in the u.s of of meddling in two different sports at the paralympics and and now competing in a third sport and it's yeah it's nice to see and i i wish him all the success and i think basketball is a great fit for him now uh we're gonna talk in a little while about something that claire said to our group uh, when this came out, I'll leave that as a little bit of a teaser and uh, we'll get to it down the line. Um, but I, I want to point out three things here that sort of stand out. And I also want to say before I put out any of these three things, I am in no way saying that the this is Ryan's perspective. This is the way Ryan feels. What we're talking about here is the perceived media portrayal. So none of these things that I'm going to I'll list it right now, three things. I have anything to do with Ryan's state of mind, the way he feels, thinks this is just my feeling on the media portrayal. So number one on this list is that because he was a hockey player, the transition would be a, quote, simple one, according to the media portrayal. Second thing is because you are a high-level athlete in conventional sport, in this being hockey, Therefore, it would be an, uh, the same kind of transition to parasports. The third thing that comes to mind here on this for me is that Hockey Canada has a history of staying within their own sort of box and not really breaking out of that. I will say that they have done that recently in the uh, acquisition that they did recently. With uh, Her name is escaping me at the moment, but Raphael Toussignon. But they they have a history of of not breaking through that mold. So of those three things that I just said, what's your thoughts and where would you like to weigh in on this one? Claire, start with you. Honestly, I think that uh, it's, again, thinking about parasports compared to able-bodied sports, you would never think about, oh, maybe I can compete at a high level in a different sport. So... Portraying that him being a high-level hockey player before his injury, that he would only be playing hockey after his injury uh, is a little close-minded. So I I think that um, with more media coverage of parasports, that individuals, even able-bodied individuals and the disabled community can both see that uh, sport is available for anybody and uh, it's not just particular to one sport. I honestly don't think that Hockey Canada... Hockey Canada, I think, did a fantastic job of uh, immediately connecting with him uh, once he had his injury. For one, uh, the hockey community in general, uh, especially the sledge hockey world, connected with him and his other teammates that were affected really well and made sure that they were still able to play the game that they love. And I think Hockey Canada did a great job to support Ryan and and get him as far as he could and that he has been with with the sport of para hockey. Yeah, for the media to portray him, uh, to say that it's going to be an easy transition to play sledge hockey, that's just asinine at the end of the day because, uh, one... What's his injuries like? So you've got to take that into effect. Uh, yes, he's played uh, regular um, stand-up hockey, um, but there's a lot of differences with para-ice hockey. Uh, how you check a person, uh, you can't necessarily skate backwards. 
Um, there's different angles that you have um, based on being in a sledge. So um, yeah, for the media to do that, I, I don't think that's the best way to portray it. Um, but because they, the media doesn't cover parasports a lot, um, I don't think they have the knowledge or the education in order to be able to say, oh, okay, well, it may not be as easy as a transition as, you know, we think because of. Um, so hopefully, you know, they can be um, trained or they can um, listen to programs like this to kind of say, oh, okay, well, I understand what Claire and Cameron are talking about. And next time we won't necessarily portray it that way. Um, and yes, uh, especially in the sport of hockey, it has been um, very much uh, the same thing over and over again. Um, and it's nice to be able to um, have Raphael uh, on the team or at least being able to try out for the team um, because I think especially with the way Team Canada is now, the way it's currently set up, uh, something definitely needs to happen or change, um, whether it be recruiting uh, some more to be able to keep up with the Americans because in my opinion, the Americans, they're number one. Um, because they've beaten us, it seems like, time and time again for quite a while. Maybe we've pulled out the odd uh, win here and there over the past few years, but it sure as heck doesn't feel like it. Um, so, you know, Hockey Canada's really got to take a look at what the strengths of the American team are and trying to find players that can um, stop them from being so dominant. Um, it may take a really good defensive team in order to be able to do it, um, because I don't think if they're going to try to go offense on offense against the Americans, uh, that's not going to work out. They're just going to lose. Yeah, I I would agree with you on this. And I, I kind of want both of your perspective on this. And uh, Cameron, we'll start with you. I remember when this happened in April of 2018, as I mentioned, months, months later, we started hearing about, you know, Ryan and Parasports being a window for him and an opportunity. And that's where we started sort of feeling, or I started feeling and hearing that the transition would be easy because of his experience. Do you think that that could have, I'm not saying it did, but could have played a factor in Ryan's mindset in a positive, negative, or anything in between? And that maybe now he's starting to realize, you know, five years removed, that the talent level is deeper in parasports than maybe he might have thought. Start with you on that one and then move straight over to Claire. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, even if like I've seen triad skates uh, with people getting on um, sledges and after they come off, they're like, oh man, I didn't realize it was going to be as hard as it was. And there's so much upper body strength that you need to be able to move the sledge. And yeah, I think a lot of people just think that it's um, easier. I've even heard a lot of comments of, oh, they make it look so easy. And it's not. You need total upper body strength in order to be able to move that sledge. And then that's not even counting the dipsy doodles and you know going to the left going to the right or you know all the different moves that you have to do um yeah i think people just don't realize it i think they think that it's easy and once they get in there like a lot of things in life um, once you start doing it then you're like oh it's not as easy as i thought and i'm really gonna have to practice in order to get better yeah it's a double-edged sword sometimes that you're you're glad that people know that the sport exists and they're they're excited to kind of experience it, but at the other end of it, they are coming in with a, an assumption that it's not as skillful or, or hard as uh, one may think. And uh, it's, it's one of those times where you just think, man, we're in 2023 and people still think that like disabled athletes are just you know, doing these easy things and not competing at a high level, uh, no matter what sport we're talking about. And yes, it's nice to like get those reactions of like, man, that's that's way harder than I thought. And yes, you you get that respect for it. But I I really hope we do get to a point that uh, it's not such a shock anymore that disabled athletes uh, have a high level set of skills and. It's I, I love getting people on, on the ice for the first time. It's one of my favorite things of the sport. Uh, our, 
One of my our our recent camp in Calgary with the women's team, Emily Emily Clark from the Olympic stand up team, uh, was there training and she got in a sled and was participated in a full ninety minute practice with us and uh, two time gold medalist couldn't uh, do much on the ice with us. So it's yeah, it's it's like times like that where you you humble people a little bit and. But it's also like it's it can get tiring of like this constant assumption that you get put on you of having to work that much harder to kind of prove something because because we're playing pair sport. Oh, oh another solid slice of humble pie. And you, you're <laughs> talking about somebody who exists in the sport uh, that we're talking about, exists in hockey. And to do that transition, just to sit there for a 90-minute practice, that's harder than people want to put out there and I and honestly I look at this uh, Cameron and I think to myself you know this takes away from the talent that already exists in parasport we I mean when I used to hear oh it's so easy to make a parasport team that just drove me even further to say yeah want to sit down and play a, a bocce game with me at the peak of my career I dare you you know and and a lot of it unfortunately came from or comes from the able-bodied community where they don't realize the dedication the effort that goes into it and i think it's it's unintentional but it does get tiring after a while cameron and something needs to change yeah absolutely and the only way that you can uh make changes to invite people out to try it so they can actually see how hard it is to do it um or you know uh, and all you can really do is um the friends and family that you have is to in, uh, get them out to a game and so they can see it that way i'll never forget i took um my mom and dad and my aunt and uncle out and we ended up watching uh, murder ball I was during the 2015 uh, games that were here in the Toronto area, and um, it was out at the um, Brampton Centre. I don't know what it's called these days, but um, yeah, there. And uh, they had never seen it before, and they were just like, ooh, and like kind of cowering because of all the hitting that was going on and the wheelchairs and um, my aunt, um, who is from the Rochester, uh, New York area, she's like, oh, they're going to hurt them. <laughs> so then I had my little, uh, <laughs> thing of, well, they're already disabled. So I think, uh, you know, they can't be uh, disabled too much more. So, um, and then they thought that was so rude of me to say, but I'm like, oh, whatever. But yeah, like, I'm part of the community. I can say yeah, exactly. this. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> But they thought it was like so cool that they would be able to go out and do that and that they're able to like lift themselves up from the wheelchair and so on and so forth. So uh, the only way that you're going to change minds is uh, anyone that, um, you know, doesn't necessarily have or is uneducated in regards to this um, is to say, hey, come on out and, you know, tr do a try it day or whatever the case is, or even like go out and watch it. And then a lot of the people you're able to change their minds after they see it. Claire, I have a, a specific sort of uh, avenue that I want to go with you. You mentioned it sort of a little bit when we started the conversation in that you felt because of Ryan's level of disability that basketball might be, you know, a, a better transition for him, suiting of his disability. Can you sort of elaborate on this, just sort of to close the conversation on parasports and media portrayal? Absolutely. So the biggest difference, I think, between the two sports, para hockey and wheelchair basketball, is that wheelchair basketball has a points classification system uh, that really opens the door to a wide variety of levels of disability, which para hockey does as well, but only to a certain extent. Uh, just the movements on the ice and kind of the balance that you have to have on the two blades in motion, uh, really, I th you do kind of see it, you kind of hit this wall where if your uh, spinal cord injury is a little too high that uh, you you need your core movement uh, for sledge hockey quite a bit, especially falling over, getting back up. It's 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 just part of the game that that requ it requires. And with wheelchair basketball, uh, 
one, the equipment is different, the surface is different, and uh, because of the point system, you are able to include and have more disabilities in the game uh, at one time. And it, it does cater to uh, higher, higher levels of disability because one, the equipment is you're able to adapt it and customize it to uh, that level of your injury with changing the, the level of the dump in the chair and uh, how low the chair is. And it's, there's just, uh, I think it just caters to higher level of disabilities uh, comparatively to parasport. And him, uh, I don't know the level of his disability, but uh, the amount of core that he has uh, or lack thereof, I, I, I can see him really thriving and, and being able to push those doors down at the Paralympic level, not easier, but more efficiently and more effectively in wheelchair basketball. If there's anything that I want people to take away from this conversation and this episode, there's nothing guaranteed to you in life. And I think this is a portrayal of that. We may think that because we're good at something, we are then good at the equivalent in the para world. And that doesn't necessarily mean the same. You still have to work hard, you still have to train, and you still have to put in the effort. If you put in the effort and the time and all those things, that becomes where you can achieve your goal. Achieving your goal doesn't just mean we're going to slide from here and over here and carry on in our in our little I'll take a word from from Cameron's book, you know, Disney World world and say this is how this is going to go. People in the parasport world earn their way and earn their stripes in what they do and I think members of the media that don't cover Paralympic sports or parasports in general need to watch their verbiage and how they portray something because you could dangerously give someone a level of false hope that could really set them on a path that is not good for them. I wish Ryan nothing but the best in his success in parasports. And again, to close this show, I'm just going to say none of these opinions reflect necessarily what Ryan thinks. We were just talking about the media portrayal. And I think we need to articulate that one more time before we close out the episode. That is the end of this episode for the Neutral Zone this week. I'd like to thank Cam Jenkins, Claire Buchanan. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Jordan Steves. Our regular technical producer is Mark Afollo. Our podcast coordinator is Ryan Delahanty. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the Neutral Zone. Be safe, be well, talk to you next week.